Hello, hello. Good morning, everybody. Hey, I, I better introduce myself. As Colin said, my name's Luke, but uh, I mean, I, I'm, I'm no stranger to Constantiaburg, by the way, but it's been over two years since I've stood here and been with you uh, in person in church. I've I just, as I've been standing there reflecting, that's, that's a long time. Who knew? Hey, who knew? Um, I want to just, I want to say, but I, I've missed being here. I, I, um, I mean, we, we, really, I got to be part of this gathering every few weeks before COVID. And so um, to have been away for more than uh, two, two years, and as someone said to me earlier, yes, but we saw you on TV, but that's not the same for me. Um, you know, I'm not there. And I've, I just want to say, this is a beautiful church and a church that's precious in my heart. And, um, and it's a treat to be with you today. I've missed being in your gathering. And um, I'm really excited to be able to share God's word with us today. As uh, Colin has so beautifully shared with us, we are already, we are working through the book of James, right? Uh, real faith for real life. And we've broken it down into four mini-series. The first mini-series is this, a faith that grows through trials, Book of James, who, if, you, if you're new to church, James was Jesus' brother. Now, this is extraordinary. I mean, Jesus' younger brother, same mom, different dad, obviously, um, right? Uh, and uh, and, uh, and Jesus' younger brother has come to worship him as the creator God of the universe. Now, I don't know how uh, your siblings think of you, but um, there is no chance that, I, and I have, a younger, I have younger brothers, younger sister, older sister as well, None of them ever would come to worship me as God, right? They know too much, right? And yet, I mean, what, what, would it take, what would it take for your siblings to come to see you like that? What happened was James saw Christ resurrected. At one stage, you know, James was actually pulling Jesus away, trying to say, no, no, he's out of his mind. Let him go. He's out of his mind. Mark chapter four, five, I think. Mark chapter five, I think. James and Jesus found him. He's trying to pull him away. No, no, he's out of his mind. Jesus is just, oh, he's having a bad day. He's out of his mind. He, you know, he's literally opposing him. And then, and then I think what must have happened is James saw Christ resurrected. And, and in that moment, everything just became clear. And, and then, then James himself found faith in Christ. And James becomes a leader of the church. Eventually, he's the leader of the church in Jerusalem, the first and largest church. And, um, and, and then what happens is there's persecution in the church. And James begins writing this letter to the church to encourage them through their trials. And we are picking up in the story that James has written to the church uh, that is scattered all over. This little mini-series we're looking at for five weeks is a faith that grows through trials, a faith that matures through trials. And as uh, Colin said, Don kicked us off last week uh, reading through that powerful scripture, count it pure joy, brothers and sisters, when you go through trials of many kinds. And he spoke to us of the role in which when we go through trials, through perseverance, we grow and grow in our maturity. Trials play a critical role in maturing us. The human character, your character, my character, who we are, is formed a lot like a muscle is formed, right? A muscle is formed. A muscle is not formed under ease and comfort. A muscle is stretched and formed under resistance 
It grows. It's the same way that your character and my character grows. They grow under resistance. Uh, next week, uh, we're going to be looking at how our identity anchors us in the midst of trials. But today, I have the privilege of leading us through James chapter 1, verse 5 to 8. Why don't you make your way there in your Bible, or I'll tell you what, it's even printed out in your James booklet. It's easier than ever. Uh, today, what's our roadmap for the day? We look at the Scripture. I want to share with us a big idea, and then I want to look at uh, three simple keys that James gives us as he gives us a kind of trial survival guide for making it through trials. James chapter 1, verse 5 to 8. Are we ready to jump in? Let's go. James writes to us. He says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. The big idea today is a faith that grows through trials draws wisdom from the good God. A faith that grows through trials draws wisdom from the good God. Draws wisdom from the good God. Now remember who James is writing to. James is writing to a bunch of believers who have been scattered through persecution, right? So you've got to see what's happened is they, they, they believed a particular way, then they found faith in Christ. And through their faith in Christ and through their, their outward living of their faith in Christ, their speaking of their faith in Christ, they've... Um, come into persecution. And because of this persecution, they've had to flee. They've lost their lands. They've lost their wealth. They've lost their businesses. They've lost their inheritance that they can pass on to their children. They've lost everything, have been forced to run, and now find themselves living away from their homes in, in real a sense of destitution, all because of their followership of Jesus. They're in the furnace of trials and hardships. And here's the thing, there's no sign of it getting easier. I don't know about you, but when COVID broke, we all thought, oh, you know, we will go locked down. We all thought it's with us till Easter, right? It's, just, it's going to be with us till then, you're right? Oh, it's a couple more months. Gonna... But, but there's never been a sense of this is what it's always going to be like for the rest of our lives, right? There's always been a sense in the midst of the hardships we've been going through that there is a light on the horizon. There is a, there's, a, there's a pressure release that's coming. In fact, already we're living into the kind of alleviation of so much of what's happened. Not so for these guys. They had lost everything and there was no hope of it being returned to them. Imagine you were James, a church leader, having to write to these people who are going through all of this and there's no hope, it seems, of things coming right. What would you say to them? That's what we're reading here today. today. And so James, among other things, gives them a trial survival guide. He's writing to a people to help them understand and to navigate what's happening through these trials. And, uh, and last week he says, persevere through this hardship, knowing that your per perseverance produces godly character in you. Jesus is not wasting this trial. He's using it to form you into Christ-likeness. And today he adds to perseverance. He says, asking God for wisdom. We're to ask God for wisdom. We will not grow towards Christ-likeness in the midst of our trials if we fail to or if we do not access God's wisdom. And the good news, James says, is that God is single-minded in His giving of wisdom to us. One of the things that trials do 
is they force us to consciously depend on God in ways that when things are going really well, we don't. I don't know if you've noticed this about your own life. When things are going well, um, we, we don't tend to depend on God as much as what we ought to. And so when we reach the end of ourselves, which happens in trials, we realize we're more needy in a sense than we thought. We're more dependent on God. And this is because uh, we live in a world that prizes strength. We live in a world that prizes strength and, and, and equates my strength to my maturity. In other words, um, the more I can endure on my own, the more I can go through difficult things on my own, the more mature I am as a human being. We esteem this as a hallmark of maturity in uh, kind of the, 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 the modern world we live in. You seem to be mature if you don't need anybody else. If you're independent of everyone else, you're a self-made man, you're a self-made woman, right? You've conquered everything that's come at you. You, uh, you are strong, and, and we esteem that to be uh, maturity. In fact, if, if someone's going through a tragic uh, difficulty and uh, you're reflecting on that and, and maybe you've been talking to that person someone says to you, how they're doing, if, if you say, oh, they, they, they're strong, it's a sign of maturity in our modern culture. The problem is that with this, this is opposite to maturity in Christ. This is counter what Jesus taught and what Jesus modeled. Self-sufficiency means that we never learn to rely on God. Uh, this is not true maturity in the Christian faith. In fact, it's the opposite of maturity in Christ. And it's trials that bring us to the end of ourselves and bring us to the point of reliance on God. It was Corrie ten Boom who said this. She said, you can never learn that Christ is all you need until Christ is all you have. It's in coming to the end of what you can do that you realize I need more than what I have. And in Christ, I have all that I need. Maybe Mark Dever says it, says it a little differently. He says it like this. In his kindness and love, God put us in trials and circumstances in which we have no option but to trust him. Trials strengthen our faith because they cause us to practice putting our trust in God for what we cannot immediately see. Stop and think about it for your life. Trials bring us to the end of ourselves. They bring us to our knees in dependence on God and in dependence on one another in community. They force us to the point of dependence on God. And this is the only way to grow in Christ-likeness. It's so important. So James says to us that if we're going to grow through our trials, we need to learn to depend on God, to ask Him for wisdom. If you're going to mature through a trial, if you're going to become like Christ through the midst of a hardship, you're going to learn how to specifically depend on God for wisdom. It's wisdom that is sought from God that enables us to persevere. It's wisdom sought from God that leads to the transformation of our character in the midst of a trial. But what is this wisdom? Hort says it like this, wisdom is an endowment of the heart and mind. It's something within us in our hearts and our minds, which is needed for the right conduct in life. 
It's a way of thinking, a way of desiring in your heart and your mind that leads to how you live in life. Douglas Moo commentating on James says this, wisdom is the means by which the godly can both discern and carry out the will of God. Both of these uh, definitions, the godly speaks to an internal reality of character that, that then works its way out in, in both discerning and carrying out the will of God in how we live our lives. Wisdom is something that is held within your heart and your mind, your internal reality that then enables you you to live outwardly in the world. And we need God for this wisdom, James says. Wisdom isn't merely knowledge. It's not merely intelligence. Wisdom is not a function of your IQ, the wisdom that James is speaking about anyway. Rather, it's knowing how to live out what we believe. It's integrity between your faith and your life in all situations. And this is the kind of wisdom that James says to us we, is so essential in trial. And here's the thing, it cannot be made up for by human effort. It's not a matter of just, well, I'll just try harder. No, it's the, this wisdom doesn't come from human effort. This wisdom comes through drawing from God. We ask God. This is, this is, a, this is something that I, I draw from God in the midst of my trial that, em, that empowers me to live in His ways. I don't know if you, you I'm sure you know this if you're, you're a Christ follower, but we don't think about it often enough. Your faith is a supernatural, oh, hello. Your faith is a supernatural faith. You know that Christianity is a supernatural faith. We believe that we can draw from God that which we do not possess ourselves and God enables us to draw this thing into ourselves which enables us to live differently in life. There is something supernaturally happening in the life of the believer when you draw from God that which you do not possess and cannot achieve any other way in your life. You can draw it from Him who gives it to us and empowers us to live differently. And how do we draw this? Through prayer and through dependence on the Holy Spirit. Do you know that, Christ follower? You have access to God who is alive, who asks us to ask and to draw from Him that which we need. And so you will never grow into the person God wants you to become if you do not learn to draw from Him that which you need in the midst of your hardship. It's dependence on the Holy Spirit that is key here. You require more than you have in the midst of your trial. But God willingly wants to give that to you if you will draw from Him, if you will depend on Him. Wisdom is not, this kind of wisdom is not something you can learn from life experience. It's not, that's, that's not what James is talking about. James is talking about something supernatural that comes to us from the Holy Spirit through prayer and dependence on Him, which you and I get to draw from in the midst of our trial because we've reached the end of ourselves. We do not have what it takes. We need more than what we have, and we have to reach out to Christ for it. This is the Christian life. That's what you write to people who are struggling with, with no sign of relent on the horizon. That's what James writes to us today. In fact, the link between wisdom and the Holy Spirit in the book of James is so critical that some scholars commentating on the book of James as I've prepared this, I've come across this, that some people actually see the word wisdom as a metaphor for the Holy Spirit. I don't think they're right, but what they are picking up on is, is the, the close link there is between the Spirit of God at work in our lives and our ability to access wisdom from God. 
This is the Christian life. There is an absolute need to rely on the Spirit of God for wisdom that we cannot receive any other way, not through your intelligence, not through your life experience, not through any other, not through your effort. It is only um, attained through prayerful dependence on God. So stop and think about your life. Is this how you live? Or have we been thrummed into a kind of practical atheism whereby we kind of just get by with the best that we have, making the best decisions we have, and kind of researching with Google and whatever we can to find our answers as we, we navigate through life? Or is your faith, Christ follower, can it be described like James is saying to us, when you go through these hardships, when you face these decisional dilemmas in life, sitting in business and in family, in friendships, as you, as you love and you serve your family, do you as a Christ follower draw from God wisdom that you need to be able to live in His ways and supernaturally you're empowered with His wisdom, an internal reality that changes your mind and your heart that enables you to live in God's ways. This is the life that Christ wants for you. That's how we as Constantia Berg congregation can go out into our city and live in extraordinarily different ways. That's how we can, we can live in ways different than our culture. Why? Because we have access to a supernatural God who's empowering us with wisdom that we cannot find any other way. That's how we live different lives. It's why our mission, our reaching out, our, 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 our life, our public life looks different because we've drawn from God that which we cannot get in any other way but through prayerful dependence on the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? That's what James says to us. This is here for you as you lean into the Christian life. So, we, so the big idea today is draw wisdom from the good God. In the midst of your trial, a faith that grows through trials draws wisdom from our good God. Now James gives us a kind of three-point survival a plan for trials. It's uh, almost essentials in the trial. And there's three parts to this. Uh, there's three questions that we can ask that I think James answers for us now. The first one is, what are we meant to do? The second one is, who are we meant to ask? And the third one is, how are we meant to do it? What are we meant to do? Who are we meant to ask? And how are we meant to do it? So let's go number one. What are we meant to do? And James says to us, ask for wisdom ongoingly. Ask for wisdom ongoingly. Verse five, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask. If anyone, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask. What are we to do in the midst of the trial? The first thing you do, ask for wisdom ongoingly. Why not strength? Why not escape? I mean, if you are anything like me, my first prayer in the midst of that trial is eject button. Get me out of this thing, please, God. Take it away, please, Lord. Give me an escape. Why not escape, even strength? Because only wisdom will, will enable us to grow and mature through this thing in the long run, that somehow having gone through this difficulty, I don't just get comfortable again, but I grow in Christ-likeness. Wisdom will show us how to live for God's glory in the midst of that trial, and long after it has ceased, we will go on bearing the fruit of Christ-like character throughout our lives. God doesn't remove our tests from us. Rather, He uses them to build us up 
in order that they work for us in our long term. We're to ask for wisdom. But I said ask ongoingly. This is what's missing in the English translation here. James uses a tense in the Greek, which, which implies an ongoing asking. It's almost as if maybe the better translation would be be asking, not just ask. Be asking. So ask ongoingly. Keep asking. It's not chanting. It's not over and over saying the same thing, right, which is becoming a bit of a popular thing as well in culture. It's not that. But, but James is saying you're Asking is not a once-off. It's not a quick prayer. Rather, it's continuous prayer and dependence on reliance and reliance on God. It's ongoing dialogue with God in the midst of this, where you're engaging Him, mindful of His presence with you in the trial, drawing from Him constantly as a source to sustain us through it. The Holy Spirit is our guide, He's our comforter, He's our empowerer, He's our illuminator. And this is not just theory, it's not just Bible verse but it's life and how we live, it's in practice. I must say that probably the place I'm, or the person I'm learning the most from this, uh, in this from is rugby. Uh, many of you would know rugby who uh, planted common ground 25 years ago. I had one of the, one of the great privilege of leadership in, in the way in which I've been able to lead in the church is um, just proximity to rugby. And uh, I cannot tell you how many times I've heard rugby talk of his like Tuesday morning prayer walks. Off he goes, and he and Sue are walking and talking and praying, and they're walking and talking and praying. And in that prayer, in that time, is a sense of dialogue with God. It's an engaging of God, but it's done in, a, in such a way that God is with me, and he's speaking to me, and he's forming my innermost being in order that I can live differently. And I have, from the sidelines of that leading alongside rugby, been able to witness not just what he draws from God in that time, but the way in which that translates into how he leads. This is so, I've seen this lived out in his life. I think we, many of us, and personally, I struggle with this today because we've become so instant in our modern culture, haven't we? We're so driven by speed and rush. We're conditioned by our foster devices, our better internet is always available. Google can just give us the answer any instant, any moment. We just receive it. And so we're so used to information instantly that we struggle with, in the midst of a hardship, not being in the know. How long is this going to go on for? What must I do next? Our peace is so quickly lost because we're, we're not used to being in control. We're not used to having the information with us at our fingertips, you know? So we, we're, we're better at shooting up quick prayers and then moving on to what we can do about it than actually learning to dialogue and draw from God in the midst of the uncertainty, in the midst of, I don't know when this thing is going to finish. I don't know how long it's going to be with me for, but in all of it, God, you are with me and I'm going to draw from you what I need to sustain me during this thing. That's hard, guys. Our modern world doesn't coach us for that. I would, as a family, just... Be honest with you, for the last five years, our Harper family has been trying to put down roots in our community to own a home again. And we have tried building a plot, we've tried uh, building on a plot, we've tried selling the plot to buy a house, then we tried building again, and then we sold the plot, and then we've tried to buy a house. And just this Friday, we had an offer on a house that looked good, and it, sold, and it was in the last minute gone. And it's so tempting for me now to just go and find the next thing, you know? And I realized as I was preparing this message, Hang on, am I really drawing peace from God in this thing? Or am I even just looking for the next way for this ordeal to be over? 
in desperation more than from a place of peace. And I can make a different decision perhaps. We just are so conditioned by instantly finding a solution. James is saying, ask ongoingly. Learn to be mindful of God with you at your desk, in your family prayer, in the morning where you wake up, to draw from him that which you need. First thing, what do we do? We ask ongoingly. The second thing we do is, who do we ask? James answers. And, and, and the answer is obvious, but, but also not as obvious as you think. Okay? Uh, who do we ask? We ask God, the single-minded, generous giver. God, the single-minded, generous giver. He says, ask God who gives generously to all without reproach. Now, James is saying to us, he's saying, just remember who God is. Ask wisdom from God, but don't, don't forget who he is. We miss this in the English. The Greek word that you have in your Bible for generous there or generously is actually translated differently in different versions because it's broader than just generous. It means with single-minded liberality. With single-minded liberality. Single-minded liberality. Okay, again, Luke, what, what do you mean by that? James wants us to understand the attitude of God towards us when we ask him. God is single-minded in his intent for you. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever in the way in which he's toward you. His heart toward you is not divided. It's always the same because it's not tethered to you. His heart and his attitude toward you is reflective of his own character, which never wavers or changes. It's always the same. He has complete integrity in his attitude toward you. And we struggle with this because you and I waver, don't we? We're not the same yesterday, today, and forever. We get tired. Our attitude towards other people yo-yos a little bit. We get tired. We get moody. We get overcome with our emotions. We, we struggle with fears. Our energy wanes. And we can project that onto God. Uh, two weeks ago, I spent a week in Port Elizabeth with my, um, my children. Our whole family was there. My two oldest children were competing in South African uh, in junior, what's it, Nippers Championships, Junior Life Saving. And uh, I'm one of the coaches, so I'm involved in that, and it's full on, right? And my kids, that was brilliant. They had a blast. It was amazing. And then we returned, right? And uh, they were away competing the week before school holidays. So we're away for the week, I'm on leave, and then we get back, and then it's school holidays, right? Now you know as you get older in life, leave is wonderful, but stuff just piles up waiting for you, right? So you come back, and there's a mountain of stuff to do, right? And my children are on school holiday. And Lauren's back at work at Redham, and uh, I'm, um, I'm, I've now prepared sermons and r do other work, right? And my children are around on school holiday. Some of you guys as parents can relate to this, right? And so it's, Dad, can we do this? Dad, can we do this? Oh, Dad, no, 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 Dad, Dad, can we do no, no. Incessant, nonstop, all the time. Eventually, Bethany comes to me and she says, Dad, can... Parenting fail. I interrupted her mid-sentence. She just got Dad. That's all she got. I said, what? Whatever you're asking, the answer is no. <laughs> I just need to write the sermon now. This sermon. Now, <laughs> you see, in that moment, my father heart was divided between what my, child's and my, my, my child my children needed from me and what I needed to do. And I was overwhelmed in that state. God is not like that. 
God is never like divided between what you need in that moment and oh my goodness, there's so much going on in the world. Ah, oh, what am I gonna do? This Russia and Ukraine now. Oh, we just finished the pandemic. I thought I'd... That's not God. God is and he's single-mindedly generous towards you. He sees you with the same attitude every single day. It's not tethered to what's happening in the world. It's not tethered to how your performance. It's tethered to who he is. And James says, ask wisdom ongoingly from God who is single-minded in his attitude towards you. He is undivided and he generously gives you wisdom. He's not, uh, he, he, he doesn't criticize us. He doesn't shake his head in disapproval. Rather, he generously gives to his children. Friends, so much of the Christian life, especially in the trial, comes down to your view of what God is like. Who is God and how does he see you? So James says, ask God, ask him ongoingly. But he says, but don't forget who God is. He is your single-minded, generous father who gives you every good thing that you need. To, 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 to not only grow through this, but to, but to make it through this thing. James is not saying that God is a vending machine. He's not saying that God is an uncaring critic, nor is he a schizophrenic boss, that you don't know what you're gonna get that day. No, God is a generous, empowering father that you must come to for wisdom. The third thing that James says to us, but how are we to ask? How are we to ask? And the answer is, like God with single-minded faith like God, with single-minded faith. The sweet spot in the midst of the trial is where the single-minded heart of the Father meets with the single-minded faith of the believer. That is the sweet spot. And friends, in the trial, that's what makes all the difference. That's how you grow, that's how you mature, that's how you make it through trials. It's also where it gets tricky though, right? It's also where, it's where we wanna live, but this is where it gets tricky, the single-minded faith of the believer. James says, but let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. James tells us now how we are to ask, also how we're not to ask. The kind of faith that receives wisdom and the kind of faith that doesn't. And James urges us towards an undivided faith. Because God who is undivided in his heart towards us wants to give us wisdom, so too our attitude towards God should be undivided in trusting him. And the picture that James gives us is that of a wave that is generated and tossed by the wind. If you're a surfer, you might know this. There's a difference between windswell and groundswell. Groundswell is the big storm that comes from Antarctica. It sends these beautiful long lines across the ocean that stack up at Jeffreys Bay, and you can see those lines out to the ocean. Every surfer's dream, right? Windswell is what we get in Fishhook where I live, where the southeast wind blows every day. And, and what happens is it causes waves to stand up, and then they collapse over each other, and then they blow in this way, and then it topples over the next one. And it's this constant churn never the same, falling over itself uh, picture. This is exactly what James is describing here. This kind of person is like a wave made by the wind, tossed this way and that way. It's never certain, it's never the same, and this is not how we come to God and ask. One day you believe who God is, the next day you're trying something else. You're hedging your bets. Oh, Christianity today on Sunday, but Monday, oh, then I need to go to 
One day you're trusting in the wisdom of God, next you're trusting in the wisdom of the world. It's a beautiful descriptor James uses. He goes further, he coins a phrase that we use today, this is the first time it was ever used, double-minded. James makes up this word. That person is double-minded. You're sitting on the fence between faith in God and faith in something else. The world, faith in yourself, maybe faith in a contender God. This double-minded person, uh, James is speaking to a dual allegiance of your heart. There's no integrity of soul. This person um, doubts the nature and character of God. One day you think of God as a generous, loving father. The next day you want to try something else. You can't really trust God. Maybe you're going to try it on your own. Maybe you're going to try something else. James says this person might as well be tossing a coin in a wishing well. You might as well be wishing upon a star because this is not faith in God. It's wishing upon a star whatever that may be. James is calling us to dialogue and dependence on a heavenly father. So maybe it's worth stopping and asking you this question this morning. Who or what else are you trusting in? Who or what else are you trusting in? Give it a name. Does it really love you as single-mindedly as what God does? In reality, is that person or thing really as undivided in, in that, that, that person's heart toward you as what Christ is? See, what James is pointing us to here is so important when it comes to faith. Faith is not so much about the amount of faith that we have. We make much about how much faith I have. Faith is less about the amount of faith and more about the object of our faith and who we understand the object of our faith to be. James is fighting for us to see God fully for who he is. It's not so much about the amount of faith. It's more about a genuine trust in who God is, what God is really like. And it's this knowledge of who God is, this genuine belief of who God is that enables us to draw from him that which we need to trust him in the moment where we need it. It's exactly what we saw Jesus live out. If you think back as we approach Holy Week, one of our Holy Week readings this week is going to be from Luke chapter 22. Jesus, approaching the crucifixion, about to be betrayed, is praying with his disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane. He is in the fiery trial of betrayal, crucifixion, and death. It's as hard as it gets in life. And Luke gives us this account of what does Christ do in the midst of the furnace. Verse 22, Luke chapter 22, 39. And he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not uh, enter into temptation. And he, this is Jesus, withdrew from them about a stone's throw. And he knelt down and he prayed. And what did he pray? Saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. God, I would rather not go through this. God, give, but give me wisdom to know what is your will. Give me wisdom to know what I need to do here. I'd rather not do this, but God, I trust you more than even what I want to do in this moment. I want your will. Jesus is asking for wisdom. And then what happens? Verse 43, and there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. 
And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly until his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down from the ground. What we see here is Jesus in the midst of the fiery furnace. And what does he do? He's facing the ultimate trial and he is single-mindedly trusting in the Father for wisdom that he needs to be able to make it through this trial in the way that glorifies God the most. And so he stretches out in faith to who he knows God to be, the single-minded, good God. My Father, what do I do here? I'd rather go here, God. If there is another way, but not my will, your will be done. God, I need your wisdom. And God, who is faithful, gives him wisdom and gives him strength. And through this moment of drawing from God, I mean, you must see this. We think of Jesus sometimes as Superman, like hiding, he's like Clark Kent, dressed in his work clothes, right? And he's hiding away all these superpowers underneath that he can just, at will, just use. That's not, Christ came fully, fully God, but fully human. What enabled Christ to endure this trial was not his divinity as much as it was as a human being drawing from his father that which he needed to be able to live in the ways of God as a human being in the moment. This is what God wants for you and for me to personally, in a supernatural way, draw from God that which we need. It's exactly what Christ models. And God gives him wisdom and God gives him strength. And Jesus walks through this and he inherits all the glory that was there for him. Does that sound like your life? That is the Christian life. Sorry, am I moving around this mic a little bit? I can hear that echo. It must be me. I'll stand still. Trusting in who God is. I remember Bethany about five years ago, my five-year-old daughter at that time. We had a kitchen counter behind a couch and she, she threw her head back and she just split the back of her head open. And you know as a dad, she just was crying and I hugged her, but really what I'm doing is I'm feeling for, is it, did it split or did it not? You know, is it wet or is it not? You know as a parent, you've been there. And, uh, and it's wet and I know we got to go for stitches now, right? Now, Bethy has got a phobia of needles at the best of times, but now, you know, without going into detail, you know, you've probably been there. And um, I remember sitting with her here at Tokai Melamed, and um, I remember explaining to her, my, my girl, you, you're going to get an injection now right where it's sore, and it's really, it's going to be sore, but we've got to do this thing. And my little girl, I said, but, but I'm going to hold you. And so she sits on my lap like this. She puts her head in my chest. Now, everything in her, I'm sure, wants to run away. I mean, surely, like, this makes no sense. I, years from now, 100 years from now, we will look back and, and people will say, you did what when you were sore? Right? Like, and so she does. I said, my girl, you need to do this. This is what's gonna help us to fix you. And you've gotta do this. So she just, I said, it's gonna be about 20 seconds and then the pain will be gone. I'm gonna hold you. So what does she do? She sat with her head in my chest and she remained still as this injection came and did what it needed to do and it was done. And in that moment, everything in her must have been to run away, to push it away. I know, I mean, I remember being five years old. My dentist building was a circular building, right? I ran laps around that thing till I was exhausted and then they got me, right? It makes me... She knew in that moment, I know I don't want to do this thing, but, but I trust my dad. 
That's just, that's just the, I, it's my dad's wisdom in the moment. That's what I need. She trusted in the character of her father and she went through what she went through. And because of that, she found healing and wholeness and health on the other side in ways she wouldn't have before. I don't want to stretch the metaphor too far, but it's exactly the same for you and I. You and I have access to a father who is single-mindedly focused. Always the same on what it is that you need. You can draw from him even when it doesn't make sense, even when you're not sure what to do. Wisdom you need to live in his ways that you will grow through this thing. And on the other side, you will be more like Christ. But it comes down, as James says, to who you view God to be. Can you trust him? Is it Jesus and something else or is it Jesus and nothing else? That's what James has for us. We must land. Big idea, in the midst of your trial, draw wisdom from your good God. Draw wisdom from your good God. God is not a wishing well. God is not a formula. God is not a lucky stone in your pocket that you rub to get things to come your way. No, God is a single-minded, loving Father who you and I as Christ followers get to know and trust and draw from all that we need in the midst of your trial. Do you know this? And do you live this way? Because that is God's invitation to you and to me today. Can I pray for us? On your, on your um, chair is a pen and a piece of paper. They look like this. I hope you didn't sit on the press stick this morning, as I did. Thankfully, it all came off. And it's an opportunity for you to ask. To write. I mean, we pray by talking, yes, we pray by talking in our minds, we pray by talking with our voices, but we can pray too by writing. And I want to give you an opportunity, here is a cross as well, an opportunity to write down your prayer, for God, to, your prayer to God in the midst of what it is you're going through. I'm going to give you some time just to do business with Jesus. This is a, it's not a profound message, it's not a new idea for many of us, but it's massively real and the essence of the Christian faith to put into words what it is that you are drawing from God, what it is that you are going through. Maybe even for some of us, the name of the thing that you, in a sense, need to forsake. What's the other thing, what, what, the double-minded, what's the other fence that you've been straddling? To give it a name, to say, Christ, this day and no further. I'm single-minded in my dependence on you. I'm gonna pray for us in a second. I invite the band to come up. But I'd love for us just to take a few moments to write our own prayers to Christ in the midst of where you're at right now. So let's do that. Is our, is our band here? I know you guys are hidden amongst us. You can make your way up to the stage.
You know, Jesus didn't say, God, give me wisdom. He said, Father, if this cup can be take, taken from me, if there's any other way, except, you know, put into words your prayer for what it is, what does wisdom look like in your situation? As the band uh, leads us in song, I'm going to invite you to come and stick that on the cross. Before we do, let me pray for us before we hand over to them. Thank you so much, Christ, that you showed us what it is to be human and to walk in relationship with the loving Father, and that you invite us to the same, that you, Jesus, model to us what it is to, to understand God's single-minded, generous heart towards us and to live back and respond to that in the only appropriate way with single-minded faith in who He is, to draw from Him that which we need, that which we do not possess, that which we cannot get any other way, wisdom to be able to live in your ways in the midst of this world. And so Jesus, I pray for some today who realized I'm the double-minded person, that's me. I'm like, one day I'm faith in God, the next I'm trying something else, the next I'm hedging my bets, next I'm white-knuckling it out and, and, and sorting it out on my own. Jesus, no longer. I wanna, I, wanna do, I wanna live like James calls us to live as Christ followers, by asking from the Father wisdom I need and living that out in the midst of my trial, God. I'm dependent on one person and one person only, and it's you, God. And I pray, Lord Jesus, for brothers and sisters here today who are in the midst of very difficult trials. Pray that you, Christ, would meet them just the way your Father met you in the garden. That we would understand the ongoingness to our walk with you, the single-minded devotion and generosity of our Father and that we would respond with single-minded faith, Lord Jesus.